Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Today I'm carrying on in the series I began last week called Jesus Rocks. And you know, it was interesting. Years ago, they dubbed Michael Jackson the king of pop. Remember that? But before he existed, there was a guy named Elvis Presley, and they dubbed him the king of of rock. And you know, it was interesting how he responded to that. He said, I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. I'm just an entertainer. And you know, he got it figured out that Jesus is the king, we're not. And Jesus is the king of rock because he is the rock. The scripture says, who is the rock? But the Lord is the rock. He is our rock. He is our fortress. There is no other. And Jesus comes along and he tells us that we are to build our house, build our life on the rock. And the big question for us is how do we build our house on the rock? And so we've been going through this. I've taken the acrostic R-O-C-K, rock, and I've been turning it into a message series. So week one is restores our relationships. Week two today is he overcomes all opposition. Week three is he creates in us character. Week four, he keeps us kingdom-minded. So last week I started with the fact that he restores our relationships because that's the starting point for everything. It is foundational. It's fundamental. If we don't have our relationship right with him, you know what? Nothing else works. None of this stuff I talk about works if we don't get our relationships right. And I've told you this before, that I believe that all problems are actually relationship problems. If you look at the problems in our world, you look at the hatred and the racism and the violence and the war, and you look at the human slavery and you look at the abuse and you look at the civil rights, you know, violations, all these things happen. What are they really? They are relationships problems where one person is treating his fellow human being in an inappropriate way. And I know immediately people say, well, not everything's a relationship problem, Mark. I mean, you know, for example, a computer problem is not a relationship problem. Sure it is. That means you do not have a relationship with a 12-year-old that can reboot your computer for you. Uh, And you say, well, how about my car problem? That's not a relationship problem. Of course it is. You don't have a relationship with a father like my kids do that can fix their car for them. You say, well, how about money? Money's not a relationship problem. Well, it probably is. In your case, you got fired for your job because people couldn't get along with you. Or maybe it was a simple matter that you didn't have a relationship with an aunt who died and left you a million dollars. So it becomes a relationship problem. So Aunt Betsy, she dies. She's got no kids. She's very wealthy, lives in a giant estate. And so the reading of the will came, and so she was giving her inheritance to her closest relatives. So they're reading the will after she passed away, and it says, to my niece Janice, who was always so kind to me, I leave her my entire estate and all the contents thereof. To my niece Susan, who visited me every week and took care of many of my needs, I leave my entire investment portfolio and all my money. And to my nephew Chad, that only lived a few blocks away, but only came by once in a while to remind me to mention him in my will. To him I say, hi Chad. (laughs) So the first thing that Jesus does is he restores our relationships. The second thing that, oh, is he overcomes all opposition. And you know, the word overcomer is in the New Testament over 20 times. Over 20 times you are called an overcomer. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be an overcomer? Okay, well, here's the prerequisite. You don't know what the prerequisite to overcoming is? 
Opposition, problems, adversity, tribulation. Aren't you glad you come to church and learn these things? Last week I told you the way to get good relationships and meaningful relationships is camping. The way to become an overcomer is to actually have something to overcome. Good news, people. You will have tribulation. Isn't that what Jesus said? What was his promise he gave us? He said, you will have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So we're overcomers because Jesus overcame the world, but we will have tribulation in this world. I remember I mentioned that in a sermon one time, and I said, how come nobody has that on their fridge? That's one verse nobody has on their fridge. You know some guy sent me a picture of his fridge, and he had that verse on his fridge? You will have tribulation in this world, just to prove a point. I thought, what a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) And and so the the, the big question is this. You know, how are we going to become overcomers? Because here's the thing about being an overcomer. It's not automatic. You go into the book of Revelation, there's seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. Jesus is addressing all seven churches, addressing all of their issues. And at the end, seven completely different churches in seven different cities. And at the end, he says the same thing to everyone. He says, to he who overcomes. What does that tell you? That tells me that not everybody's going to overcome. Not everybody's going to succeed at this. Let me tell you something. You were not born an overcomer. You were not born a winner. Sorry. You were born a whiner. No, no, literally, right? We came into the world crying. You came into this world, you cried. You cried when you're wet. You cried when you're hungry. You cried when you're poopy. You cried when you're tired. You cried when you're cranky. And you cried when your parents kicked you out of the house at 34. Right? And so that's who we are. So we have to become overcomers. You've come to the right place today because I'm going to give you the keys to becoming an overcomer. Here they are on the screen. Three things. Big surprise there. Number one, attitude is everything. Number two, action is essential. Number three, achievement is eventual. So I'm going to spend most of my time on this first one, that attitude is everything. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Mark, I think you've used that point in other sermons. Attitude is everything. You know that's true. And you know why I do that? Seriously, nobody knows? Yeah, because attitude is everything. That's right. That's why I keep talking about this thing. Attitude is absolutely everything. And I, and I talk about this quite a bit. And, you know, I thought about this, and I thought, I wonder if there's a book written called Attitude is Everything, because if there isn't, I should write it. So I went online. Unfortunately, there's already a book. Here it is. It was written by Jeff Keller. Attitude is Everything. He stole my name. Wrote it a long time ago. And so I downloaded the book. I wanted to see, does this guy say anything about overcoming and being a positive attitude guy that I don't know about? So anyway, it turns out he was a lawyer, he was very successful, but he's very dissatisfied with his life, and he realized his problem was he didn't have a good attitude and good outlook to life. Interesting to me, as I'm reading through this book, many of the things I've been preaching to you for years, he shares the same things about how important attitude is and that attitude is everything. But there was one thing that really jumped out at me, and I want to share it with you. I thought he had a good description of what attitude is. And here's what he said. He said, you know, the world is the world, and there's not much you can do about the world, and it is what it is, and the problems in the world are the problems in the world, and you can't change all the world's problems. The only thing you can change is your attitude towards those things. And here's how he described attitude. He said, attitude is the window in which you look at the world through. That is the window. And he says, some people have that clear window, and they look at it, and they're, they're very positive and optimistic. 
And he says, but because of the affairs of life, sometimes people, their window gets clouded. And they look out the window and they see the negative. And, and you look out the window and you see the positive. And he used this simple example. And you've all been there. You have two people who are standing in front of a window. One looks out the window and says, what a beautiful sunny day. And the other person says, yeah, but it looks like rain. Right? And it's all a matter of how we look at things in life. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go to a very, very familiar story to you. It's in the book of Numbers. It's a story about when Moses sent the 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, sent them into the promised land to spy it out and bring back a report. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at it from a different perspective than maybe you have before. All about attitude. So here we are uh, in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 27. It says this. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Remember, they had the huge bunch of grapes, so big they had to carry it on a pole. And that says, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hutterites, the Mennonites. I I added those myself. Uh, they, They dwell in the mountains. And in the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it say we are well able to overcome that's what Caleb thought but the man who had gone up with them said we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in uh, in there are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. Now, here's the scenario. These 12 spies go in, from one from each tribe, as I said. They all saw the same thing, right? They all had the same experience. They went, they camped, they spent this time together, they spied out the land together, and yet they came back with two different reports. Two said one thing, ten said said something else. My question for you is, what was the only singular difference between these two groups of people? Attitude. (laughs) Why? Because attitude is everything. And you see, Joshua and Caleb, they saw the possibilities. They said, let us go up at once, for we are well able to overcome it. What did the others see? They didn't see the answer. They didn't see the the promised land. They didn't see their inheritance. They saw the problem. And they focused on the problem, and the the problem was clear. The problem was obvious. I mean, it wasn't that they were making that up. There were giants in the land. There was absolutely no question about it, that that's what they were dealing with. Now I have a question for you. How many of you imagine yourself in Bible stories when you're reading a story? Anybody? I do. I do that all the time. I'm reading a story. I always imagine what I would do if I was there, how I'd react in a particular situation. So I want you to take a moment, put yourself in this story, and how many of you would like to think that you would have been among Joshua and Caleb in their perspective? Let me see your hands. 
I'm gonna be, this is going to be a bit indicting. How many of you are a little bit concerned that you may have gone with the other 10? Let me see your hands. Oh, you guys are more honest than, than I was going to berate you for being dishonest, but you were pretty good today. You know, here's, here's with the scenario. We have 10 to 2. The ratio is 5 negative to, to, to 1 positive. That's what life is like. You know that most people are actually more negative than they are positive. They've done all kinds of research on this. People's perspective on life tends to be a bit more negative. And statistically, this story tells us truth. I mean, five to one are more negative. And you know, they have done a lot of research on, on pessimists, on negative people. And they have discovered, medically speaking, that the one thing that pessimists all have in common is they have the same blood type. Did you know that? Yeah, be negative. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. They also discovered that if you, you took a, a pessimist and you put him in a dark room, he'd develop. And, and, and then one research project they did was they thought, I wonder, you know, we're not getting anywhere with this. What if we compared a pessimist to a car battery? And so they did this intensive research on these two, and they discovered the only difference between a pessimist and a car battery is at least a car battery has a positive side, right? And so the big question for us is, is this. How do we become more positive? How do we become these people? I mean, of all people, shouldn't we as Christians be the most positive and optimistic people on the planet? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, I told some of you this story, uh, but most of you haven't heard it. A couple of weeks ago, I was at my mom's apartment, and uh, I was going down the, the corridor, and there was this lady coming towards me, and she was the cleaning lady, and uh, she couldn't have been, she was under five feet for sure. She was, however big this is, she was this big, and she was behind this great big cart, and she had like a garbage can on there, and these cleaning supplies and whatever, and she's behind this little cart, and I can hear her singing from behind, I can't see her, because the cart's taller than she is, and she's dancing down the hall. And so she's coming down the hall, and she's dancing with her cleaning cart, and then she does the big finale, does the spin, lets go of the cart, grabs the cart, only to have it run right into me. And she's sitting there, and I said, boy, somebody's in a good mood today. You know what she said to me? She said, how can I not be in a good mood when I have joy in my heart? And I immediately knew something that you would know, too. I knew she was a Christian. I said, you're a Christian, aren't you? She said, how did you know? I said, who else acts like you but you crazy Christians? <laughs> she, said, she said, I'm not a crazy Christian. I said, sure you are, and so am I. And if you want to dance in the corridor, I'll dance with you. And so I started dancing with her in the corridor. Uh, you know, this is what extroverts do. You know, they bring a little sunshine into other people's lives. And I thought to myself, what a precious lady. I mean, here her job is, no offense, but here's her job, is to clean up the messes of other people. That's what she does, but she does it with joy in her heart and a dance in her step. You've got to love that, don't you? And that's the perspective that we need to bring to life. So I want to tell you a little story. Uh, a few months ago, my son made a comment to me. Uh, I don't think it was meant to be a compliment, by the way, but I took it that way anyway, because I think everything is a compliment. That's what sanguine people do. Anything you say to us, we're just going to take it out. Of, you know, go ahead, criticize us. We'll take it as a compliment. Anyway, here, here's what he said. So, so you know that during COVID, I'd put out these weekly updates, and I would go online and I'd share these weekly updates, and most of the time, it wasn't very good news. I was telling stories about how many cases there were of COVID and how many people were dying and how this thing was ramping up and how locked down we were and we, how we went from lockdown to really locked down to super lockdown. I didn't have a lot of good news. And my son says to me one day, he says, Pop, 
Every week you go on with your video update, and every week you deliver really bad news with this huge smile on your face. Is there something wrong with you? (laughs) And I said, thank you. I took it as a compliment. And here's why I do that. The world is so negative. You can't change the world. You can't change what's out there. You can only change how you look at it. And so our job is to try to go through life with this positive attitude because attitude is everything. And we see it right here in scripture. That is the key to being an overcomer is to be someone of a good attitude. So I know what you're thinking. How do I get a good attitude? How do I adjust my attitude? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three quick points within my first point. Boy, this is complicated today. You're going to have trouble following this. And then I'm still going to do my other two points. But I'm going to give you three more points in point one. Are you following this? So here they are. How do you do an attitude adjustment? Here's what they are. Number one, change what you think about. Number two, change how you see yourself. Number three, change who you hang out with. So the first one is if you're going to have a good attitude, you're going to have to change what you think about. And see, here's what we know, is if you think about positive things, positive things are going to happen. And we look at Joshua and Caleb, they were thinking about the promise. They were thinking about the grapes and thinking about the milk and honey. What were the other guys thinking about? The problems and the giants and the fortified cities. And so the key in all this is to change what you think about. Because the scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. You become what you think about. Henry Ford once said this, and I love it. He said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. And I know what people think. They think, you know, Pastor Mark, you can't change what you think about. You think about what you think about. Are you kidding me? Have you read the book? Do you know what the scripture says about this? Maybe not. I'll show you. Here it is. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Or in other words, think about these things. So number one, you can and you need to change what you think about. Second thing, you need to change how you think about yourself. Change how you see yourself. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at what these guys said, the 10 spies, it's interesting what they said. It says, we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. Whose sight? In their sight. Did the giants call them grasshoppers? Do we see any reference to that? Were the giants looking down from a mountain while these guys were going by and saying, well, fee fi fo fum hey, do those guys look great like grasshoppers do? I think those guys are grasshoppers. Yeah, they're grasshoppers. No one called them grasshoppers. Where'd they come up with grasshopper? It says they were grasshoppers in their own sight. Now, here's what happens. When you start to see yourself a certain way, guess what? Other people start to see you that way as well, right? We were grasshoppers in our own sight and also in their sight. See, this is what happens to us. And a lot of people go through life with these low self-esteems and this low self-confidence. Nobody put that on them. They put it on themselves. We look at Gideon in the wine press, whining away. He says, I'm the least in my father's house. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Was that true? We don't know if that's true. That's what he, how, how he saw himself. And if you see yourself that way, guess what? Everybody else is going to see you that way. And I look at our world today, and I see a lot of people that see themselves as victims of their circumstances. 
And I'm telling you, this is so self-destructive. We have whole swaths, whole groups of people in our society. Pretty much everybody, they're all whining about this or that, and they're victims, and some, some injustice or something in the past, and they're a victim of this. And all the problems in the world are everybody else's fault and never their own. You know what that is? It's a victimhood mentality. If you want to live like that, you will live in failure. I promise you. So I don't know about you, but I can barely stand watching the news. How many of you watch the news every night even though you can't stand it? How many of you do that? I do that. I don't know why I punish myself, but I do. And so, I, you know, night after night, there's some group, some people, and they're whining about some injustice that they encountered and some circumstance of life that is defeating them and their, their victimhood. And, and one night... We're watching the news, and they show this story about this woman living in, uh, you know, subsidized housing somewhere in Ontario, and she was complaining about the fact that the, the home had mold in it, and there was mold coming out of the window. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the picture. And she was complaining and saying, this is inadequate housing and this isn't right. And she was a victim of her circumstances. Let me show you the actual picture of her apartment. Here it is. Check out her kitchen. Look at that kitchen. And you know what she pointed to? See that little spot of mold in the left lower corner of the window? She pointed to that and said, see, there's mold in the house. Are you kidding? Zoom out the, left, the lens. Look at the rest of that kitchen. Are you kidding me? I don't think that fridge is anybody's fault other than yours. You're living like a pig, lady. You've got to bring it up. You can't blame everything on somebody else. Take some responsibility for your life. And there was a man by the name of Charles Sykes, and he wrote a book called A Nation of Victims. And th this particular guy, he's a uh, political commentator, he's a, a journalist. And what he did was recorded story after story after story of people who claimed they were victims of their circumstances. And I won't bore you with all of them, although they're pretty funny, but I'll tell you one story. So he tells a story of this FBI agent he embezzles $2,000 or stole it from the evidence room or whatever he did, I don't know. And he takes that money and he gambles it away because he's got a gambling problem. The FBI finds out that he stole the money and gambled it away and they fired him. Seemed like the right thing to do. He dragged the FBI into the court and said that he was fired because he was discriminated against because he had a disability and that his gambling was an addiction and it was a disability, so therefore he was fired because of his disability. And the FBI had to reinstate him as an FBI agent. Do we really want law enforcement like this? And my question for you is, seriously, it, it, that's a disability? See, this is what victimhood does. What we do is we fail to take responsibility for ourselves. So you have to change the way you see yourself. The last and the final thing is this. You gotta change who you hang out with. You gotta change who you hang out with. See, the people had a decision. They could either hang out with Joshua and Caleb or the other 10 losers. Who did they choose? The 10 losers. They all chose them. And what were the consequences? They ended up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and every last one of them died in the wilderness. Not one of them saw the promised land. And see, this is what happens when we hang out with people that are a bad influence on us, that have negative attitudes. They just drag them down or us down with them. Interesting about this, you know, they asked this question about the, the workplace. And they said, if you had a choice, they asked a particular business. And they said, if you had a choice on a particular day to work shorthanded or work side by side with this person with a bad attitude, which one would you choose? 
Do you know 100% chose to be shorthanded instead of dealing with that person with the bad attitude? And they call it emotional vampires because what they do is they just suck the life out of you. Let me give you a little tip on this. Do you know that when we hire people, most businesses, you hire based on aptitude, but people almost always get fired because of their attitude. 89% of people who lose their job wasn't because of incompetence. It was because they did not have a good attitude. So the key for us is we're going to have to start hanging out with better people. And if you don't, if you're looking around those people that, and, and, and asking yourself this question, what, what kind of people are these people? Are these the right people? And I have a little attitude test for you today. You want, you want to take my attitude test? So here's my attitude test. Uh, you know, one of the questions we ask people every day, probably dozens, I've, I've already said it like a hundred times a day. We greet people with this. We say, how are you? Isn't that what we do? How many said, how are you, to someone else today? Someone else said that to you. And we, we actually say that all the time. It's our greeting in our culture. How are you? Hey, how are you? We don't actually really want to know how you are. Don't really care how you are. It's not really a question, not interested in your life story. I, I just want a quick answer. It's a greeting, right? But I'll tell you, it's very telling. You can tell what someone's attitude is. This is going to be a bit indicting for you. You can tell what someone's attitude really is. Most people, when you say, how are you, they'll almost always give you this mediocre answer. Fine, good, okay. It's kind of in the middle. Uh, it's not really that meaningful because they know it's not a sincere question. So they're just going to give you a whatever answer. But there are outliers. And there are those people that on one side, when you ask them how they're doing, they give you the over-the-top answer. Fantastic, great, couldn't be better. If I was doing any better, it'd have to be twins. You know those people. And then there's the people on the other side, and you ask them, how are they doing? Like, well, not bad. Okay. It could be better. I'm just okay. Now, I know that I am unnecessarily offending some of you, but, but good, right? Because we, we need to look at this and say, is, do we really want to go through life with that kind of negativity? Because what it is, it is actually a bit of a window into your attitude. And the, you know those people on the other side that always give you those over-the-top answers? I want you to think about that for a moment. You all know one of those super positive people. Think of the most positive person you can think of. No, 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 that would be me. Think of, uh, <laughs> think of the second most positive person that you know. And then let me ask you this question. You ask them how they are, what's their answer? Is it great? Is it fantastic? Is it just wonderful? Are, are those the people? How many nod at me? Is that what they do? Those super positive people? You say, ah, he's just putting that on. He's not really that buoyant. Maybe he is, right? And maybe he became that way because he made a decision to be that way and it has nothing to do with the circumstances and everything to do with the attitude of the heart because attitude is what? <laughs> it's everything. You're, you're figuring this out, right? So I'm going to show you a picture of a guy. Uh, check out this guy on the screen here. This guy's name is Nick Vujicic. I know, that's easy for me to say. Uh, and I, how many of you have ever seen this guy on YouTube or anything? I mean, this guy is an absolute inspiration. He was born, he's Australian. He was born with no legs and no arms, some condition. Not sure why, but, but he wasn't. And at first in his life, he was pretty disappointed with life. And he thought, I can't do things other kids can do. I can't play soccer. There's so many things I can't do. And he got bogged down in the negativity of what he could not do. He became a Christian, and he decided that he was going to change his attitude. He couldn't change the fact that he had no arms and no legs. However, he does say that he keeps a pair of shoes in his closet because he says, I still believe in miracles. <laughs> hey, you got to love that one. 
But, but he said, look, I can't change my body. I was born in this way. God made me this way. Or for whatever reason, this is my life. So the only thing I can change is my attitude and how I view this. And he became this absolute inspiration. He wrote a book called Life Without Limbs. He goes and speaks before literally thousands of people. Here's one picture. Look at the crowd. Look at the crowd. There's thousands of people. He's up on a table so that people can see him because he's got no legs and no arms. And he's, he's articulate and he's smart and he's inspiring. And he tells people, you don't really have any problems in your life. The only real problem you have is your attitude and your perspective in life. And if you can change that, everything else is possible. So I just want to show you some pictures of stuff he does because I think it's amazing. Look at this first picture. In this one, he's out golfing. No legs, no arms. He's golfing. Look at this one. He's out skydiving. Needed a little help with that one because someone had to pull the ripcord, right? Uh, Then check this one out. He's out surfing. This one cracks me up. He can swim. And I'm thinking, he looks like he's swimming like a rock to me, but who might argue with this? And someone said, how can you swim with no legs and no arms? He says, I have no legs and arms to drag me down. (laughs) And it's all about attitude. It's all perspective. Here's what I want to say to you. If this guy can go through life with all of his limitations with a great attitude, what's stopping you? Right? Because attitude is everything. So that's the first point. Told you I was going to spend most of the time on that. And then I'm just going to spend a few moments in these last two. But the next one is this, that action is essential. I don't care how good your attitude is. At some point, you have to act on it. You have to act if you're going to see the inevitability of getting the results that you need in life. What did Joshua and Caleb said? They said, let us go up at once, for we are well able to overcome. In other words, they knew they had to go and do it. They knew they had to act on it. And if you look in scripture, particularly the New Testament, almost every miracle that we see in the New Testament, Jesus required somebody to act. I've told you this many times before, that faith is really a function of belief and action, acting on it. The paralytic got lowered down through the roof. He said, pick up your bed and walk. What did he have to do? He had to pick up his bed and he had to walk. He had to do something. Remember the man with the withered hand? And he said to him, step forward. The man stepped forward. He said, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand. He acted and God restored his hand. Remember Peter, only guy we ever know in scripture other than Jesus who walked on water. What did Jesus say? He said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. He said, come, step out of the boat, buddy. Let's go. And he stepped out of the boat. He acted and as a result, he walked on water. This one cracks me up. I talk about it a lot. Even Lazarus had to act. He says, Lazarus, come forth. How can I come forth? I'm dead. (laughs) He told the dead guy to act. And I love it because Lazarus acted and he came out wrapped in grave clothes. He acted and as a result, he got the evidence that he needed. Here's the thing we get stuck on. See, the reason they didn't want to act was there was giants in the land. Since when do giants stop us? If we're going to go through life looking at giants, you know what? There's giants today. There's always going to be giants. There's always going to be someone bigger, better, stronger, smarter, richer. What's that got to do with anything else? What's that got to do with anything? You do what you have to do. And that's why Joshua and Caleb said, let us go up at once for we are well able That's why David was able to go up against the giant Goliath. He wasn't concerned about what his limitations were. He was going to act in faith. And when he acted in faith, things 
happen. So I want to tell you a little story about this. Uh, when I was 11 years old, my parents sent me to Camp Stevens for the two weeks. Now, I said, I told you last week that we never went on a camping trip with my parents, and that was true, but they did send me camping without them. That was pretty smart. And, and so they, they sent me off at 11. I remember going off and being a little insecure about this, going to Camp Stevens, two weeks on an island in the Lake of the Woods. I didn't know what to make of this. I didn't, I didn't know what the ropes were. I didn't know how I was going to handle this whole thing. But by my good fortune, I had a guy in my cabin who was a veteran. He was 12 years old. He was a year older than us than me. And uh, he came down to Camp Stevens, or up rather, from New Jersey uh, every year for seven weeks. And I thought, wow, his parents really love him. Only later in life did I realize they were getting rid of him for seven weeks. And, and Louie was quite a guy being from Jersey. Hey, it's Louie from Jersey. And, you know, just like you'd see on TV. And I thought, this guy's the best. I'm hanging out with Louie. And he's going to show me the ropes because he's been here so many times for seven weeks at a time. And so Louie was really helping me get along. And so then about the middle of the two-week period, we go on a three-day wilderness canoe trip. And they load us into these canoes with all these supplies and tents and sleeping bags and food and whatever. And off we go into the wilderness and away we go. And so, so would you believe my good luck that I got to be in Louis's canoe? Now, where do they put the veteran in the front or the back, the bow or the stern? The veteran goes in the stern. The rookie goes in the bow. So I'm in the bow, Louis in the stern, and he's sitting back there with just such confidence steering this canoe. And the first two days of paddling were calm and still waters. And he just sat back there with great confidence and regaled me of stories of summers gone by. It was amazing. And I thought, wow, what a leader. And anyway, here's what I've discovered in life. Anyone can lead when everything's calm. Day three big wind came up, came from the north. It was blowing and contrary against us. We had this channel we had to traverse and we had to get down this channel. It was about two miles long. The wind was coming straight at us. There was huge white caps coming at us. And, and the camp counselor said, we just need to get to that corner. And when we get to that point, around that point, we're out of the wind and, and everything's going to be okay. And so we started towards that and I was paddling as hard as I could, but we kept on getting further and further back. And then what happened, though, those guys aren't going to wait for us because they're trying to get to the still waters. So they're going for it. And they just moved ahead of us and had us. We're probably a half a mile back. We're way back. And I couldn't figure I was trying as hard as I could. I don't know what Louis was doing back there. You know, he's from Jersey. Maybe he's smoking a joint. I don't know what he was doing. And, and so, so anyway, I'm paddling and paddling. And I say, Louis, we're getting a long way by, back. And, and then the other guys all turned the corner. And they were now out of our sight. And I could tell that Louis was beginning to panic a little bit. And so then he says, we're going to go closer to shore. So I thought, fine, he knows what, what he's doing. He's the veteran. and He steers the canoe, canoes closer to shore. It's just as wind, windy there. And what had happened was the wind was even higher now, and the waves were even higher now. And there's rocks at the shore. I was a little nervous. I thought, why are we going so close to the shore? We got 20 feet from the shore. Do you know what Louis did? He jumped out of the canoe and started swimming for the shore. I said, Louis, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving my life. We're going to drown. I thought, what? Now I'm in the bow. The back end goes up of the canoe like this. I'm in the bow in the midst of a big storm going, what do I do? I see him swimming to the shore. So I start paddling over towards him and I grabbed him by his life jacket. I said, you get back in this canoe, buddy. 
You get back in this canoe and you're going in the bow. I'm in the stern. And you sit up there and you just paddle as hard as you can and we're catching up to the rest. And I took charge in the stern and I paddled and I paddled and I yelled at him the whole time to keep paddling and, we were, and eventually we made it. I was 11 years old. And for the first time in my life, I realized I had leadership in me, and I've been bossing everybody around ever since. (laughs) Number one, attitude is everything. Number two, action is essential. And the last and the final thing is this, is that achievement is eventual. It's inevitable. If you'll do the first two, you're going to get it. But here's what you need to understand. You are not going to get it overnight. Anybody know how long it took for Joshua and Caleb to possess the promised land? Anybody know how long that was? It was 45 years. 40 years in the wilderness. Everybody else died off. Five years battling for this ground against the giants. And you will remember the day. Caleb stood up at the bottom of Mount Horeb and he said, here I am this day, 85 years old, and I'm as strong this day for making war and going in and going out as I was when Moses sent me. Therefore, give me this mountain. He claimed that mountain 45 years after he began. And see, here's the thing we struggle with, because we live in an instant gratification culture. We all want overnight success, right? Nobody is interested in the long term. It's like the father, he says to his son, you want to go out for an ice cream sundae? He says, no, I want to go out today. (laughs) Thank you for getting that. Do you remember what James said? James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith proves patience, and when patience has its perfect work, you will be complete and lack nothing. What does he tell us we need? We need perseverance, we need persistence, we need patience. It's not going to happen overnight, and what happened with Joshua and Caleb is they persisted, and they hung in there, and they hung in there, and their attitude was right, and their action was right, but it did not come overnight. And what we need to realize, folks, is that you're not going to get everything you want in life instantly. You're going to have to work for it, believe for it, pray for it. You're going to have to be patient, but eventually it will come. Achievement is eventual. Do you know that Winston Churchill was 80 years old when he, he was still winning elections? Do you know that Benjamin Franklin penned the uh, Declaration of Independence at 81 years old? Do you know Mother Teresa of Calcutta was, was in the uh, slums of India still at 84 years old? Do you know John Wesley was still preaching the gospel twice a day, every single day of the week at 86 years old? Do you know that George Bernard Shaw wrote his last play of his life at 94 years of age? You ain't done yet. Some of you haven't even started yet. And if you look into scripture, you see everybody took time. Joshua when Caleb was 45 years, you remember David was seven years from the time he was made king till he got his inheritance of being the king. We look at, at Josh, uh, Joseph, rather. Uh, he was 13 years before his dream was fulfilled in Egypt. We look at Abraham 25 years before he had that child of his, Isaac, and he was 100 years old. And so you look into scripture and you realize you're not getting your answer immediately, but you will get it eventually. Because attitude is everything, action is essential, and achievement is eventual. Because you will have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer. Because Jesus has overcome the world. Let's stand together.
All right, here's what we always do in this service. We ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes because I need to ask you this question. Have you invited Jesus the rock into your life? Everything I'm talking about in this series is predicated on a relationship with Jesus. And if you haven't got that, if you haven't invited him into your life, I'm telling you, you'll never be the overcomer that God wants you to be. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd like to make that decision, nobody's looking around. It's between you and me and Jesus. And if you'd like to make that decision today to be a follower of Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. No one's looking around. If you're not sure if you were to die tonight, if you go to heaven, I want to encourage you to raise your hand. Just take a moment. Slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Just take a moment. Let me know wherever you're sitting. Thank you. There's hands popping up around the room. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. All right. Anybody else want to join these folks? Maybe you knew them in the past and you've slipped away. It's time for you to come back. You could raise your hand as well. All right. Fantastic. You can all lower your hands. So we're all going to pray together here today. So follow after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that though I have tribulation in this world, I'm an overcomer because you have overcome the world. And you died on the cross for my sin. You rose again on the third day. And you forever live to be my Lord. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Today I'm a new creation in Christ. Today I'm a Christian. And I'm an overcomer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him a big shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.